Welcome to Crate Digging, a podcast about record collections and their collectors. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, the music and creative associate for the soundtrack. On this episode, we have Carlo Visentine. Carlo is a good friend of mine and an avid music collector of both records and memorabilia. He also has some great personal relationships with some of his favorites. Carlo, thank you so much for joining me today, and let's flip through your collection. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Oh, like I said, yeah, you're you're a good friend. Uh, so this is going to be a bit of a, a unique situation, but uh, I, I've seen your collection before, and it's very impressive. Thank you. Well, I'm sure between the last time you saw it, which was probably a year and a half ago before the pandemic, and now it's grown a little bit, so... <laughs> I should say more than a little bit, because I, I tend to get a few new things every month, every couple of weeks. So yeah, but thank you. If I remember correctly, when I last saw you, uh, you had just moved into your new house, and I think you were still sort of in the process of unpacking, setting everything up. When I saw you yeah. set up, was that just like a partial amount, and now it's like in its full glory? Um, I'm not sure how much I had out and set up at that point. Like all the records were out for sure. In terms of like, because you mentioned memorabilia that I collect, that stuff hadn't really been put up and set out properly. I have like a separate room upstairs where um, I keep all of the CDs and posters and little knickknacks and things and separate glass cabinets, Ikea glass cabinets. Um, and all the records stay downstairs. So I think the upstairs stuff probably hadn't been uh, set up yet. I yeah, it, it took me quite a while because I'm such a procrastinator and I want <laughs> everything set a certain way. And, you know, mm -hmm. everything has to sort of make sense with all the placement of everything. It's very, it's a very precise science no, <laughs> for I, me. I understand. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us collectors, I think that's a, a unique uh, characteristic for a lot of us. We th There's sometimes some overlap between like OCD tendencies and people who, who collect. So at least for me anyway. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I get that feeling as well. And I think that's a perfect jumping off point is I want to know how big is your record collection? Oh, at this point, it's over 700. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew you had a, a a large assortment of records, but I did not know you had that many. That is wow. Uh, how? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump a whole bunch of questions. I need to know how you have this set up. Like what sort of shelving units do you, do you use? How is this, how many like spaces, like shelves do you have for it on? Like you need to give me more details about that. I have about two of those like two by two Ikea expedite shelves, which I think they've rebranded them as those uh, Kallax mm -hmm. models. Now yeah. the expedites were a little more um, uh, heavier right, way back when they first started bringing them on the market. So people, a lot of record collectors always look for those specifically because they're just, just a little bit more thicker, heavier duty. And I guess it gives a little bit more of a, sense of security when you're filling them up. Um, so I have two, like two, two by twos, which holds probably 500 of them upstairs. But then I have some boxes downstairs <laughs> where I just can't fit everything. Um, and I'm actually looking to maybe upgrade some of my storage. I've been looking at these, um, 
they're, they're basically like filing cabinets that are made custom by this Canadian company. They're based out of Scarborough. They're called Can-Am. And um, they sell like all sorts of different cabinets for, for any kind of purpose that you want or need. So a lot of what they do is is targeted and geared towards music collectors. So they have cabinets for um, if you want to store up to a thousand CDs, they have cabinets if you want to store up to like a thousand records and you can even expand them where you can you can put them on top of each other and they're quite heavy duty duty. They have locks. Um, built into them so you know prevents theft and you can customize them in different colors and add all these special furnishings on top of them so I'm looking into that it is kind of expensive though but um, I I did at least order one for now for the CDs upstairs because they've been in this tower that's just sort of on its last leg and I'm worried it's just going to topple over one day so (laughs) um, yeah wow okay yeah that's impressive it's it's funny like Record collecting on its own is sort of a bit of a niche hobby where you can easily spend a lot of money, as you know. But then, like, once you start getting into, like, the custom furniture, that's how you know you're on a completely different level of, like, the sub-nicheness of it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I've been browsing the forums for years, like, ever since I was a young teen. And I used to dream about having these kinds of custom storage pieces that I would see people post pictures of and they would say oh well you know this cost starts at a thousand dollars and I thought oh as if I could ever you know get something like that and now you know being childless that's one of the benefits I guess of having like a little bit of extra disposable income instead of it going towards uh, (laughs) kids at the moment it's going towards financing uh, storage for the record collection so yeah that's, I think, a much better use of your money anyways, frankly. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I won't comment on that in case I have family members listening to this. But, um, you know, we all have priorities, so oh, I, I, I won't judge. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll kind of loop back to uh, my, my order of questions. I was just... I, blew me away. I did not realize you had uh, over 700 records. But uh, since you have 700, I want to know, how did you get your start doing this? Were you gifted some records? Did you maybe steal some from your parents at all? Like, how did you first come in contact with vinyl? Yeah, I would say for sure that it started with me stealing a bunch from my parents. Um, When I was, it all started when I was four years old, if you can believe it. Um, (laughs) So for those that don't know, I'm a Diana Ross and the Supremes fanatic. Um, So just their music alone represents about 20% of my vinyl collection. I was looking last night because I have all of this stuff logged on Discogs, which took a while to to put together. And so about 150 records is just Diana Ross and the Supreme. 150? Yeah. 150? Oh my goodness. I know it. Well, that was my reaction too. When I looked at it last (laughs) night, I had never really looked. I thought, oh, okay. It didn't look doesn't look like that many to me, but I guess it is. So, um, yeah. So it all started when I was four because my dad one day he was just randomly playing this um, three LP set that came out originally in 1974, and it's this gorgeous trifold silver package called Diana Ross and the Supremes Anthology, and it has all of their hits in it plus some other rare. 
um, I shouldn't say rare, but just random tracks. Um, and it, it was just, I, I came into the room and I heard this music playing and it was just like an instant connection. I can't describe exactly what drew me to it. Um, there was someone that, that uh, Supreme's historian that I've talked to in the past and he sort of had a similar experience when he came into uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes. And he said that he believes that what draws young people to that music is Diana Ross's voice that lends itself so well to pop music, but also had this sort of higher Minnie Mouse quality to it, which I think kids can really identify with, right? Because you, you're so drawn into like cartoons and things like that. And she, so it was just the music and, and just seeing this fabulous package with these gorgeous, beautiful women, the Supremes, their artwork adorned all over this package. And I was just like, my heart was just, it, it, it was like I was in love, like at first sight right mm -hmm. and um so from there my my dad like because he i would just ask him like at least once a week can you please play supreme <laughs> he made me a uh, cassette uh tape copy of those of that album and i would just play it over and over and over and um so it's all started from there and even though he had made me the cassette tape like i would always sneak out that that same anthology out of his record collection out of the cabinet and I would just stare at it and then I would try to sort of put it back carefully he had everything sort of you know put away sorted in such a way with plastic sleeves on it and me being like a young kid like of course I don't I can't remember which place I took it out of and get the plastic sleeve on perfectly so he always knew that you know I'd taken it out and he'd say Carlo like so eventually I just ended up sort of taking it into my room and I ended up um, getting my own turntable. And, um, and then my first, I remember my first records that I purchased, of course, were Supreme's records. And that was around 2001. My parents had, uh, they agreed to take me on a little road trip to Hamilton because we lived in St. Catherine. So it was a bit of like 40, uh, 40 minute drive. And um I had been looking through the phone book for weeks because at th that point I was just, as I was getting older, I was like, I want, you know, Supreme's records. I want to, you know, get all this stuff myself. So I had found this record store in Hamilton and I think I had called them myself too up on the phone with this, you know, my little uh, squeaky voice saying like, do you have Supreme's records? And <laughs> so I remember that vividly. That was like my first two records that I bought. And if you can believe it at that time in 2001, like they, those two were priced pretty high. I remember they were like 25 bucks each, which um, wasn't cheap. So um, yeah. So then it all just sort of grew from there. I, I've also been like a huge ABBA fan ever since I was young too. So I took like some of my mom's ABBA records and bought a bunch of those on my own as well. Um, and then of course the ball just sort of keeps rolling. Then it gets into, you know, wanting to collect special imports from Europe and things like that. And, um, and then you get into other artists, you know, you're into, I was into Diana Ross and then Suddenly, I started getting into Whitney Houston. That was like my next diva that I got into, and then Patti LaBelle, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, there's there's my long-winded story, anyway, of how everything sort of started. <laughs> no, that's fantastic, and that actually kind of ticks off a few more of my questions. So, I'm I'm actually glad you you were able to to get all that in at once. Uh, I'm curious to know what would you say is your prized possession in your collection? Definitely, one of them is that 
anthology that belonged to my dad. I've since bought a couple of copies, to be honest, but it's just that one, just because of the sentimental value, because, Mm -hmm. you know, now my dad having passed away um, about a year ago, um, he and I, we shared a lot of the same love for music. And so knowing that this belonged to him, um, and, and not only that, actually, I ended up, I'll, we'll probably get into that. Um, I ended up getting, having a, forming a connection with one of the Supremes, original Supremes, Mary Wilson, over the years. And um, every time I would see her in concert, which was maybe, you know, on an annual basis, my dad would call me beforehand and he would tell me, he said, you know, like, I know you get Mary to sign like a, a thing or two for you after every show like when you get to talk to her you really should bring that anthology to get her to sign it and I would always think about it and think well it's not really like it's just sort of like a greatest hits package it's nothing like you know something rare or anything like that and the last time that I um, saw her which was in October 2019 before the pandemic started I thought to myself okay I'm gonna finally bring this copy of the anthology with me because my dad had pestered me to bring it again so she signed it for me and I explained to her I said this is how everything started you know I was four years old when I when I first landed my hands on this thing and she signed it for me and um, little did I know like a few months later my dad passed away and then a year later Mary Wilson herself passed away and so to have that item that sort of you know that connection that brings me those memories back of my dad and even Mary herself. And now they're both gone like that to me, I'll treasure that forever. So a lot of the science stuff, I, I really, um, I really uh, value for sure. And, you know, those sentimental things that, um, that go way back to my childhood. Wow. That's uh, that, that is a great story. I'm, I'm so thankful that you share that. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I know you've also, like you were talking about, you, you had that connection with Mary Wilson, but I believe you've also met quite a few of, of other of your, your favorites. Uh, are you, yeah. Were you able to like get any of your records signed that way? Yeah, so, so I did meet Diana Ross uh, from the stage during one of her shows. She did a Q&A um, during her last uh, most recent show in Toronto I think that was June 2019 and um, I'd been to like a lot of her shows and she didn't normally sign stuff for fans and then uh, one of like the second last shows I got to see her and she just started signing LPs for for people that they were holding them up at the front I thought wow I really need to get in on this next time I see her so Mm -hmm. it just so happened we were in the third row and I got to run up and during her question and answer session, she saw me with the album and I brought a marker and she said, wow, thank you for bringing this album. It was her album called To Love Again. And she was so touched, um, I guess, because that album meant a lot to her, she said. And so she signed it for me. And then I got to ask her a question about uh, who her favorite producers were to work with during her career. And uh, this was thankfully all captured on video and it was like a dream come true moment. So that was one of the, um, I mean, she's like my all time favorite. So to have had that moment with her, I'll forever be thankful. And I I did get to, I've been able to meet Betty Levette a couple of times, who's also a soul 
a Detroit legend. She was on Motown um, at one point as well. And um, she goes back all the way to the 60s. So I've had her sign a couple of things for me. Um, Mary Wilson, of course, has signed quite a few. I have, oh, I'm trying to think of who else. I, I know I've gotten like some some different things through the mail, not necessarily vinyl. Like I had sent, um, I had a connection with somebody at Caesars Palace in Vegas and they helped me get a couple of eight by 10 photos signed of Celine Dion. So she signed them for me. And yeah, so I have a lot of that kind of things as well. Like um, stuff that I've like autograph requests that I've sent in to different people. I have a, a album signed by the Pointer Sisters as well. Um, and I got, I, that was, that happened at one of their shows. So yeah, it's, it's hard for me to remember all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a visual person. So just going off the top of my head, I have, oh, I have an eight by 10 of Sharon Jones that she signed and she's also, um, I gone now too. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, ABBA, I have some signed photos from them. I have Petula Clark. She signed. So all sorts of people yeah wow I, I love the autograph thing is like a separate hobby in itself for me so um but yeah when i can get something in person especially when it's a particular album and it's something that means a lot to me that has a lot of value for sure even more so than something that comes through the mail right of course because it means being able to meet them and have that that memory mm-hmm. so yeah now Speaking of your your large collection of memorabilia, what sort of pieces do you own that are, are music related? It's like I'd have to go and look. I um, I have like a a cabinet with specifically like all Diana Ross and the Supremes stuff. And um, actually, there's one there's one piece that I have that's a um, it's a tour program from 1965 and. Um, it was signed by all three original Supremes back in the sixties when they did a show at the O'Keefe center, which is now the Sony center in Toronto. They had signed it, I think back in 1966 when they were doing a show there. Um, and I got it off of eBay and um, that for me was like a really neat thing to be able to get because um, one of the original Supremes Florence Ballard, she had passed away in 1976. So to come across things that are signed by her, you don't really come by that very often. Um, so that, I love that. Like, it, it's a, I know it's yet another sign thing that I'm sort of going on about, but I also have like some, some really interesting stuff. Like the Supremes did a, uh, they, their own line of white bread back in the sixties as well. So I have even like an unused bread wrapper that came from the <laughs> factory with their uh, art artsy image on it. And it says Supreme's white bread. And um, so not, I, I actually have put away somewhere because the original one I had in a frame and then it started to disintegrate um, and I had to end up buying another one. So <laughs> this is one of the things when it, with collectors is that um, over time, especially when you're a young person starting out, you, you don't really know the best way to store things, especially when there's something so old, right? Like mm-hmm. I've had autographed items that I've just put in frames when I was like 12 years old and um, they were signed in pen and I would just leave them out on like a shelf, you know, exposed to sunlight. And now everything's just 
completely faded away. So over time, you sort of have to learn like, okay, this thing, I should probably put it away in like a certain place or in a UV glass protected frame, something like that. It gets, it all gets to be very um, anxiety ridden in a way <laughs> because these things, they don't last forever. So, mm-hmm. but you have to sort of, take care of them and figure out the best way to uh, maintain their longevity. So, yeah. Now back to the, the topic of records. When, when you walk into a record store, do you sort of beeline it to know exactly what you want or do you spend time flipping through everything? It depends even on the record store for me and, and how much time I have. Like there's, there's some stores that I've been in and it's just crates upon crates, just all unsorted. So if I'm going there because I know that that's how they organize their whole collection and I know I have an afternoon to spend, then I'll go through, you know, as much as I can sort of see, get a sense of, sometimes you'll go through a crate and you'll see a lot of uh, Anne Murray and classical artists <laughs> and um, what's his name? I'm trying to think of um, uh, like, just a lot of like I don't I don't want to put anybody down because like I love these these artists but a lot of like the easy listening people that mm-hmm. you sort of would typically see in your grandparents collection you'll see those like in certain crates and you'll be like okay I get the sense that that's probably all that's here so I'm just going to go over to this other section and sort of dive in over here right but I typically I tend to to go and uh, check out like the soul R&B sections first for sure that's that's where I go Number one is like, that's the number one priority. Now, are you comfortable sharing the most you've ever spent on a single record? Sure. If I can remember, um, (laughs) it's probably not that much compared to some people. Um, I would say probably around 120, 130. And and that's like nothing. I've seen records go for you know thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. not, I remember paying one twenty for this Mariah Carey vinyl that came out a couple of years ago. There was like an exclusive pink version of her album Caution that came with like these nice photographic prints, and it was limited edition. And of course, it sold out right away. And I kicked myself for not getting it. So I remember keeping an eye on discogs and and the prices and it just kept going up and up and up and I thought okay I'm just gonna get this because I really want it and I think that's the most I ever paid for something was 120 which probably compared to a lot of people is not uh not a huge a huge dent but um for me I consider that to be a lot for a record (laughs) yeah I, I think that's more than I've spent on definitely uh, so if you have people coming over to your house, obviously in non-COVID times, uh, just friends or acquaintances or something like that, what sort of records would you likely throw on to sort of uh, please everyone? You know, I generally something that's a little more upbeat, like probably Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. A lot of people tend to love them because they, everybody knows from Amy Winehouse's music from the radio, right? And and the Dap Kings were the same backing band um, on Amy Winehouse's most well-known uh, record, Back to Black, and and they primarily worked with Sharon Jones, and so I usually put something like that on because um, it's it's sort of like a an easy thing. It's that's safe. Like people love Motown as party music, even though she's not generally Motown. But um, yeah, I would generally do some something like that. 
Yeah, I think that's a great one. That's I would definitely enjoy if you if you put that on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever did. I probably put on something <laughs> something boring, but no, I th- um, I think I think when when I'm usually over at your place, I I like that you try to put something a little bit different. Like I don't want to say that you're trying to to impress us, but I think you're definitely, yeah. I think you'll like this sort of thing. And, and I really appreciate that about you when you're picking, these you know, th- thank you. Actually, I distinctly remember, yeah, going out of my way to play some really different stuff for you. Like I remember one time you came over and I played Chris Clark and she was Motown's uh, one of the, the very few white female artists back in the 60s and I remember putting her on and you said you loved her voice and you asked who she was and um yeah so I sometimes I try if I know that something is like not too out there and and it depends it depends on your art audience too like I know you appreciate uh some of the more rare stuff whereas if I had like my sister over she wants to hear 90s so <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily put Motown on for her but that's when you put yeah. the Mariah on yeah, Mariah, Spice Girls, that sort of things. Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. I have I have some of their vinyls. Yeah, that's cool. Do you have any sort of ritual when you're putting on a record? Like, what when you're about to throw a record on? What are you mm-hmm. sort of like doing? Is it just like background music? Are you putting on a record specifically because hey, I'm going to sit down and enjoy this music? Like, like what is what is your time with vinyl like? Yeah. But so- Usually both as background music, but uh, with vinyl, more often than not, it would be something where I'm sitting down and I'm enjoying it on a weekend because I find sometimes, especially back when, you know, before the pandemic, when we were all going into work and coming home off of the subway and then you have to rush to get dinner going, like it's not as convenient to put a record on or you just don't think of it because you're in a rush. So um, now I've had more opportunity to do that working from home right now, but normally it's, it's more of like a ritual where I'm making time for it. I'm sitting down and, and uh, having an intention to do it. I don't know if you feel the same, same way about that too, but yeah, I, I find that just, it's like a, sometimes the time just, it's not as convenient, which I hate saying, but. I, I understand what you're saying there. When you have people over, do you ever let them touch your either collection or your turntable? Uh, I don't think I've ever touched your stuff, but I know, uh, do you let other people? Uh, honestly, like if I see somebody that's touching it, I'm not going to say anything, but I don't <laughs> love it. I don't love when people do it because I've had it happen a couple of times where people will just start looking at stuff and they'll take it out and they'll like take a plastic sleeve off and they'll just sort of haphazardly put it back in and then just put it back wherever. And then I'm like, okay, great. Like I have this all alphabetically sorted. I hope I can find it later. You know, (laughs) I usually keep a good eye on people though. I, I'm not that, that sticky about it, but I, I don't know. I'm very particular. I'm like my dad in that way of have everything has a place and everything has to be sort of put back in the right spot. And, um, and some people are not as gentle with handling certain things either. Like if I have a vintage pressing that somebody's taking out and I know I paid like 70 bucks for it and they're just sort of holding it by the corner, you know, and, and just sort of flipping it around. That's not, then, then that's when I'm going to say like, okay, time for you to go home, get, get out. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you're probably going to be giving a lot of people anxiety right now that are record collectors themselves. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We've all been there, though. <laughs> are you able to uh, describe what your, your setup is currently like? Like what sort of turntables and speakers do you have? Yeah, well, my main setup downstairs is um, I recently got a, I upgraded my turntable to a Fluence RT82, um, which I remembered speaking to you about turntables at the time because you have a really great, oh my God, I remember it's like a red one and it's gorgeous, yeah. but I don't I've remember the, the name of it. Carbon. That's right. I was considering that very strongly, but I did. I just couldn't bother with the um, speed change for forty fives, where you have to lift the platter, right? So I, I got. I ended up settling for the Fluons, which to some audiophiles, they it's they would consider that to be a, a bit of a step down from the um, project, just because it's a little bit more of um, it has like the automatic stop feature, which they say creates some extra noise and hum, which I have yet to hear, but. Um, I, I have that, and I have Paradigm 11 tower speakers. And then um, upstairs, I have my dad's stereo system that I inherited, and he has these these great um, big speakers from the 80s. They are B&W DM1400s with a um, – oh, gosh. He, he originally had them paired with a, a Sherwood uh, receiver that I have sitting there, but it's, it's – um, it's not hooked up because I, I ended up hooking it up to his, his Marantz receiver instead. He, he got me all into like the vintage stuff because I even have like downstairs with my main, um, my main uh, setup. I have like, a, uh, Oh my God, what is it? It's not Technics. The, oh, Pioneer. Sorry. Yeah. Pioneer SX 700, I believe is the model. So yeah, I, he got me all into like the vintage, the vintage stuff. He, he was a big advocate of it saying that, you know, it does sound better. It does sound better, which um, I sort of have to agree in some ways. It, it definitely like the power that those units had back then. Um it's hard to match now. They they mm. definitely put out a lot of power. Now, do you have like your eye on upgrading any of your gear? I know you just said you just got this new turntable, but uh, <clears throat> do you always kind of like have your eye on different stuff, whether it's receivers or speakers or, or turntables? Or are you just like, I'm very happy right now with the setup I have? Yeah, I've sort of settled because the paradigms I got like in the last few years, those speakers and... Um, and same with like the the receiver that I mentioned, the Pioneer. Um, I ended up getting that off of Kijiji in the last few years. So that was like my big upgrades that I was doing down. Like I, I started off with like a little bookshelf receiver, JVC receiver with these little bookshelf speakers back. I got them for Christmas when I was a kid and that's what I was using for like the longest time. So, um, and then after I ended up upgrading everything myself, I ended up getting my dad's stereo stuff that my mom didn't want to keep anymore. Um, and he had like that, those units themselves were quite, um, he spent a lot of money, even just the Marantz itself goes for a lot. So I, I would never upgrade it beyond anything like beyond that. I think, mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty happy for now. The keyword is for now until, uh, <laughs> I, who knows? Never really say never, but I think obsession. Yeah, you know what? Like you could just you could go crazy always trying to upgrade, right? Like if you go on these forums, like there's people that talk about, you know, gold plated wires and this and that and it just gets to be 
a lot. Like, of course, like your system is only as good as your weakest link. But at some point, I think it, it, the the what's the what's the term for that? Diminishing returns, like the yeah. the step, the incremental improvement that you'll have mm-hmm. um, won't be very much. Like you'll have to spend like twenty thousand dollars to at some point to have like a huge noticeable difference. Which for me, I'm just I can't see myself doing that. So. For now, this is good. I'm 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 happy. Yeah, <laughs> I I understand what you're saying. Um, I know you're talking about uh, 45s, but do you have a lot of them? Do you do you specifically seek them out for filling out your collections, especially for stuff like the Supremes, or is or something like you're not as into 45s? You know, it dep- like I'm not huge into them. It it depends. Like if it's something I I've collected a handful of Supremes 45s because they have certain novelty items that I, I just wanted to have for my collection. Like they're for, one of their first 45s that came out before they even hit the charts with any big hits. Um, the first one they did as the Supremes, I want a guy, there was that. And I, I collected a, a few others that they did early on that I just wanted just for posterity's sake. Um, and then I collected a few that were like picture disc type things that came came out in the '60s with their pictures on it. They, I guess, came out as a series. There was a Motown series of picture discs called by um, Topps Bubblegum. So I collected like a handful of those, um, and I'm still looking for the last one <laughs> to complete my collection. So if anybody is listening to this, I'm looking for "Come See About Me" picture disc. Supreme by the Supremes <laughs> on Topps Bubblegum, um, and uh, yeah, there's I don't really seek them out though unless it's something special because it's just another thing that takes up a lot of space and it has to be something that has some kind of value or meaning to me. But mm-hmm. I know that there are people that are big forty fives collectors and they'll collect you know hundreds, but I don't I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Now I'm I'm sort of curious. I know you're saying that you sort your collection alphabetically, but do you have any uh, rules to the way you sort it? I know you're talking about all these Supreme records you have. Are they off to the side in their own sort of section, or is just everything mixed together, just purely alphabetical? Yeah, everything's mixed together, purely alphabetical. But I have thought of putting all the Supremes, Diana Ross stuff aside separately maybe in another room just to make space more space <laughs> in my shelves downstairs but uh right now it's just sort of all alphabetical and then once in a while I'll put something in the basement if I know I haven't listened to it in a while just to make space in those IKEA shelves I'm just I'm weird like that like I love collecting and I love buying vinyl upon vinyl but then to actually see it in the house, like in front of me, like I can't see too much of it because it's just, if I see too much clutter, I get all anxious about it, which is mm-hmm. kind of weird and awful to think about because at the same time, it's like, you know, you're, you're accumulating records in your basement that you're not really looking at on a regular basis. So at some point it becomes, there's a fine line between collecting and hoarding. So I'm really trying <laughs> to keep that fine, that good, fine dance going, but yeah, right now it's just alphabetical. Interesting. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know, when do you plan on opening your museum? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny because a few people have called this room that I have upstairs with the memorabilia and CDs. They've called it the collection um, and or the museum. Um, it's funny. Like when I was 
I used to work at a library years ago and they had asked me about doing a special display in their window for of like all Diana Ross and Supreme stuff for a month because they used to showcase like different collections and things and I just couldn't bring myself to do it I was like no 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 like this stuff is going to be sitting like in the sunlight exposed for (laughs) a month without me being near it or seeing it every day like who knows like if this is going to end up being stolen or, or what? Like, I, I just couldn't get over it. But I mean, it would be kind of a cool thing to do. Like, I've, I've heard of different people doing that, loaning their stuff out for like a little museum feature. But I don't know if I uh, would be able to get over the anxiety of it, for sure. <laughs> now, I know you're quite active in like the, the forum community as well, especially with the divas. <clears throat> do, you, yeah. do you like share stories back and forth of like, oh, I'm looking for, for this piece from 1964. Do you, do you know where I can find this sort of thing? You know, I used to when I was younger and I was a little more naive because um, I would post about different albums saying, like I, I started posting on these forums when I was 11 years old, back when they used to do like Yahoo clubs, that's what they called them. And um, I would post about like, say, for instance, a Diana Ross album that you couldn't find on CD and I couldn't find it on vinyl. And I would say like, where can I find this? Right. And there would always like, I can't tell you how many times someone would respond to me Um sometimes with a private message and they would say like, I have an extra copy or even a sealed copy from, you know, 1976. I'd be willing to send it to you for free. No problem. Like I love to see, you know, younger kids, younger generation getting into the music. And I would just send them my mailing address, not even thinking twice about it. Um, And that ended up being a little troublesome for me later on because I had a bad experience with that. Um, which turned out fine in the end, but it was just, I, I, as an 11, 12 year old, I didn't really think about, you shouldn't be giving your address over on the internet. So yeah, I did a lot of that back then with um, people sending me stuff, or I would even trade DVDs of like rare footage that of concert footage, stuff like that. Um, I remember trading with this guy in Italy, Italy for, a couple of years back and forth he had like a crazy collection and yeah the, I, it's you can really there's there's a great community out there i mean it, it, there's always a few weirdos for all the good people handful of uh good people but um yeah i've done a lot of that not so much now i don't really do that anymore i've mm-hmm. sort of settled down <laughs> yeah now- other than records, I know you're talking about that you have a, a large CD collection too. Do you collect any other format? Like, do you have uh, cassettes, eight tracks, that sort of stuff, or is it strictly just CDs and, and records? You know, I've I mostly just CDs and records. I've thought about going into eight track before. I've thought about going into real to real tapes as oh, well. Wow which I would love to do, but that in itself is expensive because they're even harder to find than vinyl. And even the, to get a good serviced used vintage player um, is quite expensive now as well. Like you can look up, it can start at around a thousand dollars if you want something that um, is a good piece, like an Akai reel to reel vintage player. So I've, I've thought about it, but I've then at, I thought to myself, you know what, why do I want to go down another rabbit hole and then start spending even more money mm-hmm. <laughs> try accumulating every, everything on reel to reel? But I have heard good things about, you know, the sound of, of those. But, um, yeah, I sort of have to stop myself. But you never know. Maybe one day. 
Yeah, you never know. Uh, are if I understand correctly, are they not a lot more um, volatile in the way that you need to to preserve them? Yeah, they can be because they you, you definitely have to have a uh, climate control. Like you can't just keep those in a garage, right? Because mm-hmm. they'll sort of start to uh, stick and disintegrate and what have you. So that's another thing too, is with reel to reels, like a lot of people that sell them, like even just the tapes on eBay, like most people are saying untested, they haven't been tested, but like you can't just, it's hard to buy those because like you say, like they're, they're a little more sensitive. So unless something's been tested, like you don't want to necessarily shell out 50 bucks for, um, you know, like a reel to reel from the sixties, unless you know, it's going to work. And yeah, it's, those are getting to be a little more, a little more rare, especially more rare than vinyl. So it's yeah. funny now that we're talking about it, I'm sort of getting the the itch to <laughs> to check out <laughs> some some titles on eBay, but no. I apologize to your wallet already then. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm curious, do you have a favorite local record store? Well, we we moved out of Toronto last about a year and a half ago, but when I was there, my most favorite was Sonic Boom, hands down, because I was just I've always been into the used CDs and vinyls, and I found that they had a really great selection of stuff. Like they there was just a lot of stuff I would find that was more harder to come by and the prices were a little bit more on the moderate end of it. So I loved going there. I mean, the store is huge. Like I had a friend who passed away last year as well, and he was a longtime collector and uh, he lived in Detroit and he would come to Toronto sometimes and, and uh, we'd meet up, we met up once actually at Sonic Boom, but he'd tell me like how much he loved that store specifically. So, I mean, people, come from all over just to it's it's like a tourist spot so um that for me was my favorite now that i'm outside of of the city it's been a little bit harder to delve into the different smaller stores that i have around here because of the pandemic especially with like you know the only option lately has been curbside pickup so you can't really easily see what people have i've been emailing people once in a while these different owners asking them do you have this record or that record but and they say no but it's kind of hard you don't get the same experience like unless you're looking for something specific um you can't really browse in the same way so that's i kind of miss that but sonic boom will always be my baby i'll always come back in in the city uh (laughs) anytime to go shopping there yeah that's a great one i'm curious yeah what, in your opinion, makes a good record store stand out from a not so good one? And you don't really have to name any names, but just sort of uh, in general, what are your thoughts on, on that? Knowing, really knowing your audience and having a pleasant personality goes a long way, which I know kind of sounds silly, but having spent so much time in record stores over the years, starting in the early 2000s, I can't tell you how many times I'd come into a place that had been managed by someone who had been running it for like 40, 50 years. And you just get like a lot of attitude back from them, which I mean, who knows, like once in a while you catch somebody on a bad day, but people tend to just in general get jaded 
my life after some time. And so that's kind of a turnoff when, you know, you go in somewhere and you just sort of get a cold feeling. It's, it's great when you can go in and have a nice conversation with somebody, but without feeling pressured to buy something because people will always recommend, you know, have you seen this before? Have you heard of this? Like, I know you like this artist, check this out. So I don't mind that as long as I don't feel too uh, pressured in like a sales pitch type of way. But um, yeah, definitely having some, some friendly uh, connection is good. When, uh, when you're traveling, do you like to stop in local record stores and, and see how they differ? Oh, a hundred percent. I always, for sure. Like we went, we went on our honeymoon to Italy a few years ago and I just had to have like a list of record stores that we went to. Um, I've been to, you know, different places in the States as well, which I love doing because I find that with certain artists, especially that I'm into, like that are more in the R&B genre, their records I find are a little more hard to come by in Canada. Um Whereas if I go somewhere in the States like Michigan or New York, there's a higher chance of me finding something like someone that maybe wasn't as well known mainstream, you know, say back in the 80s on the pop charts, like someone like Phyllis Hyman, I can definitely find her records a lot more easily in the US compared to Canada. I don't know if there's that many people in Canada that uh, that were buying her records at the time. But she's a legend nonetheless anyway. So yeah, I love, I love going to different places because you'll just, sometimes you'll just find different things that you can't necessarily find locally in your own country because, you know, certain albums just sold differently in different geographic places. So you're always going to find a different mix of stuff. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's really cool. Do you have any favorite city in particular that uh, if you know that you're going back there, you're definitely excited to check out the record stores again oh my gosh you know i can't (laughs) i know you know what i can't think of one right now well new york for sure i mean i've even just been wanting to go i I found out about a couple of stores just across the border niagara falls new york that i've been wanting to check out once the the border reopens sometime um yeah there's there's just so many places that they don't even necessarily have like an online presence or, or a database on Discogs. You'll just come across them if you're doing like a Facebook search and you'll find their business page or you'll do a Google search. And once in a while, you'll, you know, see something come up and um, there's, there's a lot of small shops out there that, uh, that are, that are not really connected in the online way so those are the places that i love because that's where you find the um the treasures like there's even a place i i remember going to in scarborough when we were living there called henry's records and it was like this little little hidden away gem like an industrial plaza and um he just had shelves and shelves of stuff that i could tell have been there for quite a while i ended up finding some gems there like uh, whitney houston's my love is your love on vinyl which came out like in i think 98 which 1998 there wasn't a lot of vinyl coming out so that record is pretty hard to come by so i was lucky to find that so i love all those little places that you know you can't normally find online yeah that's i miss that <laughs> i know you you and me both i cannot wait to be able to to flip through someone's musty old collection and find some hidden gems 
I know. Sometimes it's just, this, <laughs> it's funny you said musty, right? Because there's always that certain uh, smell with some of these places too, like going to antique markets and things. Mm. And I, I, when I was younger, I didn't mind going, flipping through crates under tables, you know, trying to get into like these little nicks and crannies of like going, <laughs> reaching as far as I can to see that very last record in the bin under a table or something like that. Now, not so much, but um, I mean, that's, that's how you find the good stuff for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Carlo, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing stories. It was an absolute pleasure getting to, to learn more about your collection. Uh, and, and I'm really happy you, you were able to, to tell me all about what you have. Thank you, Dakota. This, this was great. I uh, really appreciate it. I've always wanted to, sort of just have a, a platform to express my love for, um, you know, collecting and everything. And uh, it, it was, it was fun. It was good to, good to talk. Awesome. And you have a, an excellent Instagram account, Divas on Vinyl, where you post yes. pictures of your collection. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes because I'm, I'm constantly impressed. Every time you post something, most of it, most of the time, I've like never heard of it. I'm just like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, I meant to mention that. So I'm glad you remembered. Yeah, it's Divas on Vinyl on Instagram. And um, I'm trying to get a little better at it. It's kind of, I know there's some people that are good at you know, routinely posting. I just sort of do it when the mood strikes me, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to post more exciting stuff in the weeks to come. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Great Digging. Make sure to visit the soundtrack.ca for more great content. Let me know what you're currently spinning. Make sure you're subscribed to the show to listen right when the needle drops. Crate Digging is produced by Gemma Mastriani and Dakota Arsenault is a soundtrack production. Music is by Jared Burke, graphic design by Stephanie Pryor. Thanks for checking us out.